0: God, please bless us. Thank you for your word. Let's do it. Hey, what a crazy start to a passage. This is a, this is a really, really intense start. Flick forward through it for us, Lachlan. Uh, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Now, I know it's been a few weeks now. You've had uh, Wilbur and, and Paul serving you well. But the implication is that this is what Saul has been doing since Stephen was killed. He hasn't stopped But the interesting thing is, legally, Saul and the Jews can't do that. They don't have the power to have anyone killed. You can see that from his strategy there in verse 2. He asks the high priest for authority to arrest and relocate. The Pharisee goes to the Sadducee, once again teaming up against Jesus. And because of Saul's persecution of the church that scattered them and ended up just sending God's message everywhere, God wanted it to go anyway. But now he's realizing what he's done now is trying to contain the message, go out and bring all of those people back. He wants to corral them back inside the net to stop the spread of these lies that Jesus has written, risen from the dead. And so those murderous threats, like those things that, that are muttered under his breath, they're not a tactic. Hear this. That's what he wants to do. I can imagine, like, imagine. Like, like, what would what you would think if you knew someone like this. You might have encountered some people who are hostile to Christianity, and I would suspect your workplace or other places, there might be some people there hostile to Christianity, and you might find them scary. I sometimes I certainly can. Uh, maybe even sometimes the way that they might do that, do that, even distasteful or in their hostility. But imagine how you would feel if someone who was hostile to you and your faith had the power to arrest us and wanted to kill us, and they were in our sphere, in our city. So Saul gathers a SWAT team and he heads for Damascus. That's only about a week's journey away. And as they near the city, a light from heaven flashes around. Saul falls to the ground and he hears this voice, Saul, Saul. I just want to take you back. I don't know if it was great the version that, um, uh, that Stephen chose to read from us in because it gave us this echo. Does anyone hear any echoes of God calling to the boy Samuel a thousand years before in this? The response of "Here I am, the some people who are blind, like the old priest Eli, who the, the, the Word of God has come to him so rarely he doesn't even recognize the Word of God when God's talking to him. He's like, oh, who's that?" You remember that story of the boy who was in the temple and God was calling to him, and the old priest didn't even wasn't even able at first to direct him to say, "No, that's God speaking," because he didn't know. This story, pick up as if you've got that in your head. Pick up the resonances as we go through here. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul, the the Pharisee who says that he can see. Remember Jesus calling the Pharisees blind guides who say they can see but can't. Sir, who are you? Saul says. Who are you? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know who you are. Jesus, says the man, I'm the one you're going after. Now get up, go into the city, and I'll tell you what to do. Now there's no gentle, gentle Jesus meek and mild there, is it? He is, acts like he has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He speaks like it. And Saul does as he's told. He gets up, but then... He finds that actually, having met Jesus, he really is blind. He can't see a thing. And so, and so this SWAT team who heard something, but they can't see Jesus at all, they've got to they hold him by the hand and lead him to Damascus, the blind leading the blind, where Paul stays for three days. And interestingly, there he is fasting and praying. Well, it's interesting. It's because they're things you do when you're wrong, when you think you when you think you you need to take stock, you need to repent before God. That's not a very Saul thing to do so far. He's been very sure of himself, and now we meet character number two, our friend Ananias. Now, Ananias is a disciple of Jesus. And you'll notice that uh, having gone, you know, uh, physically up to, to the heavens and through the clouds doesn't really stop the risen Jesus from rocking up and doing as he wishes in his world. Jesus acts again. He says, Ananias, and this time he's recognized. Ananias, he, I was, he was probably talking to him this morning. He recognizes the voice of his master and says, here I am. Ananias, I need you to go to Straight Street, which A is a great name for a street. And secondly, I hope it was straight. And thirdly, I really love that the detail is here in the, in the text. You, just, you know what street he was on. You, know? you feel like I Google Maps it or something. It's just so just real. And Ananias says, I'm not sure I want to ask for a man named Saul. <laughs> God, mm, you know what he's been doing, right? He's been trying to drag everyone into prison. He's been trying to drag us back to Jerusalem. He's got authority to do it. God, no, I'd know. And Jesus, still speaking as if all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, says, Go. Did you notice that? That's just the first thing he says, no, just go. It's worth stopping and... and, and and seeing the authority with which Jesus speaks here. Jesus is, yes, your friend, the dearest one you'll ever have. He is, yes, your older brother, and way better an older brother than any of us have ever had. He is, yes, gentle. He is, yes, lowly. He is tender. His, his uh, yoke is easy and his burden is light. Yes, 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 yes. And he is also master and commander. And speaks as if he should be obeyed, because He should. But he does give Ananias a couple of assurances, doesn't he? He, he? he helps him. First one, he says, this is no normal circumstance, my friend. I'm recruiting. This man is going to be my chosen instrument. He is going to be my messenger to the Gentiles, first of all, and their kings, and also to the people of Israel. This guy, Ananias, this is how I'm going to go global. It's through this man. So this is, this is not just any old circumstance. You are going to be my, my tool to turn him to be for me. But there's a second reassurance as well. And this one's an interesting one too. I'm going to show him just how much he's going to have to suffer for my name. Now to his credit, that's enough for Ananias. And he obeys. He goes to the house and he says to him, Brother Saul. Sorry, just wow. That Like, brother and you don't like it's there's been no sort of African American hip hop culture that's been influencing the first century. They don't call each other brother unless you're actually related by blood. And he calls him brother Saul on Jesus. On Jesus, say so. Ananias knows that he hasn't even received the Holy Spirit yet because, because that's what he was sent for. He says, Brother, I've come so you'll be able to see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. But on Jesus, say so. He's your brother, and he calls him brother, so he includes him. And then, as he is filled with the Spirit, he can see at the prayer of Ananias. Now, the symbolism is not accidental here. You remember Jesus calling out the Pharisees as blind guides, and from someone who by this I mean Saul, someone who called out others for their unholiness and, and how you didn't obey the rules and how you don't know what you're doing, I need to teach you, he then submits himself to baptism. He submits himself to saying, actually, no, I need to be washed clean. I'm unholy. I... This is a turnaround. to so being washed clean from his sin by Jesus, the one he's been persecuting. No longer claiming to be able to see but acknowledging that he's blind. And so as he does that, then his sight is restored. Isn't that a beautiful just, just... His gospel story is like ours, isn't it? And he takes food and he gains his strength. Now, I don't know. What do you reckon? If you, were, if you were Ananias, would you mention the suffering? Would you say the suffering bit? Oh, by the way, yeah, you're my brother. Yeah, Jesus forgiving your sin. Yeah, it's great. You can have the Holy Spirit. This is fantastic. Yeah, so, yeah, life's going to suck for you. <laughs> It's going to be really hard. I don't know. Maybe I probably wouldn't at least have mentioned it right at first. But now we get a new Saul, a whole new person. Now, you might have heard um, this, this idea that the old bloke, the bloke who was the persecutor was named Saul, and then he sort of, his name was changed by Jesus uh, to Paul uh, in, 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 once he was converted. But, but you can see here in this passage that it can't be, uh, because Ananias has already called him brother, remember? Brother Saul, before, and, and it's Brother Saul. And then he keeps being referred to as Saul through the rest of this passage. And more so, see what Saul continues to do. Once he's preaching, well, uh, sorry, at once, he's preaching in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. The charge that his group, the Pharisees, nailed on the cross, now he proclaims in Jesus' honour that Jesus is the Son of God. And all of that as Saul. So a less dramatic but more, and, and, and more accurate reason for the name change we get later is just the, the normal Jewish practice of having both a Jewish name and a Greco-Roman name, uh, particularly if you're both Jewish ethnically and a Roman citizen. So you've, you've got a Jewish name, you've got a Roman name. When you're hanging out in the, in the world, you use your Greco-Roman name. And when you're hanging out you know, with, the, with the Pharisees and the temple and that, you can use, you use Saul, your Jewish name. And, and that's how we see it used, used in Acts. And that this guy Saul is now preaching the gospel. People are just freaking out. They're really confused. Uh, isn't this the guy who had been out to get us? And now he's preaching the very guy that he's been trying—he's been trying to stamp out this message. He's trying to get a net around it, bring it back into Jerusalem, so that it can't get further out. And yet he keeps preaching, and he's getting better at it. And he's proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Of God, now have a look at that there in verse twenty-two. It's really interesting. How is he? How does he get better? Thank you. So he gets more and more powerful in his preaching. How is that? Because it's not his public speaking skills that are getting better; those were finally honed. This is one of the most educated and sophisticated uh, people in the ancient world. And 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 how does he prove that Jesus is the Messiah? Because, um, like, I mean. He can't get better at that. All he can do is say, well, I saw the guy. Like, you, you sort of, like, that kind of evidence is just there. It's there. It's not. You, you can't improve the argument. It's just, no, I, I saw him. Well, I suspect, and this is, a, this is a suspicion. This is not the Word of God says so exactly, but it feels like what it's trying to put together there is that the threads of the story, the threads of the story, the big picture story of the Bible that we saw, as he trawls back through the slabs of Scripture in his head and goes back through Isaiah, and he's like, oh, the suffering servant. That whole thing. That was, yeah, that, that was us, but then it's weird. It's almost like the suffering servant is this one guy by the end of Isaiah. What's going on? He, he died on the cross. He, he, Jesus is the suffering servant. And as he, as he goes through the Old Testament and sees the threads and the plots and, and, and how God needed to, to, to both do justice and mercy and how could that possibly be, and he sees what the cross does and his power and in him being able to help his, help his Jewish brothers and sisters know what were your scriptures always pointing you towards? Becomes more and more powerful as he sees the connections. And everyone's baffled. I mean, what on earth happened to this guy? Have you seen someone who's had a big turnaround in life? Like, how many people can you list on one hand? Oh, maybe it's on one hand, maybe it's on two, but who've had a massive, major turnaround in their life? I imagine it's not a lot. People, leopards can't change, leopards don't change their spots, are sort of the, the classic saying, right? This is big. And yet, the thing that happens now is, the first thing that happens is that Paul gets a taste of his own medicine. He starts preaching, and now a plot's hatched to kill him, right? Saul finds out. He finds out about this, this, this thing. And so he, he plays this clever, uh, watches the gates. They watch, they're watching the gates to ambush him. He's careful not to go through the gates. And then you get, I don't know, do any of you have memories of like a little kid's like a Jesus Storybook Bible or something where like Paul's getting let down out of a basket out of the wall. I love, that's one of those ones that sticks in my head. And you get that sort of great James Bond, Paul jumping, out the, jumping down the walls, kind of Tom Cruise abseiling thing. But when he gets to Jerusalem, Hero now he's starting to look like. Great preacher, powerful preacher, good preacher. He gets to Jerusalem and no one's going to let him into their home. Verse 26. They don't trust him. I wonder if somewhere along the line he, he knocked on the door of or tried to get in contact with Philip's fam- uh, Stephen's family. No one's, no one's letting him in until Mr Encouragement Barnabas comes along remember Mr Encouragement and is willing to step in for him vouch for him now uh, we don't really know why it's it's hard there's there's no sort of evidence to know why or that that you know, maybe he maybe he heard a report from someone who he knew in Damascus, um, from someone he trusted about how he was preaching. We're not sure, um, but but he did, we do know that he'd stepped in for the benefit of the church and for the benefit of of, um, of the, the the inclusion of anyone who would who would own the name of Christ. And what he says that seems to turn the church to be willing to trust him is this thing: is this fearlessness, this fearless preaching? This mark of genuineness is that Paul risked his personal welfare for Jesus. And it's almost like the apostles kind of like resonate. It's like, oh, they're trying to kill you too, huh? Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. You've been preaching Jesus and, and yeah, okay. We, 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 we get that. We, we've been there. Now, it gets bad. It gets bad. Straight away, he's out, he's out in the synagogues again. As soon as he's accepted by the church in Jerusalem, he's out amongst the Hellenic synagogues preaching Jesus to the Greek-speaking Jews who are around and then they try and kill him too. Jesus doesn't give him much warm-up for this whole, I'll show you how much you must suffer for my name. It happens straight away. So eventually it gets so bad, verse 29, the disciples just, the, the apostles, the disciples just say, look, we're just going to send you home, mate, <laughs> to home home back to Tarsus, where he comes from. This is a, Tarsus is a, a very educated city. He's being sent back to, back to Oxford, where he belongs, like he, where, where, where he's, he's probably received the first portion of his law and rhetoric training to become the sophisticated gentleman he was. But he's got a bit of field training, a bit of field experience under his belt now too. And so here we're now set up, this moment where the church enjoys this time of peace, this time of strengthening, where there's this new weapon in God's arsenal, where they fear the Lord, not humanity. They are encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Now there's peace. It's a really cool story. It's a really cool turnaround story. It's a really cool story about how the the, the, the one so against God could so quickly become so for him. So what do we do with it? Well, there's three things I think that we want to start to see that God does with this. Firstly, we want to recognize the power of the risen Jesus. See, it's interesting that some commentaries on this section begin with like skepticism about how truthful this passage is. No, it can't really have happened like that. In fact, it looks a lot like other sort of stories of people meeting with God from around that time. So they probably just made it up based on those. And because this you can tell when you can tell when you're getting close to something that's powerful when the skeptics attack it. Because if Paul. Really was so against Jesus. It would take something like this to transform your life like that, wouldn't it? To actually meet the risen Christ. And of course, that actually is the 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 greatest evidence for the actual change in his life and the willingness to suffer for the rest of his life. The turning around a life like that is big, and and I don't just mean the direction of his life. Like I I know some people who have sort of got the idea that. Um, Paul's change, basically, was like going from a psycho against Jesus to being a psycho for Jesus, right? Like, just, just all it is is just turn the really creepy, weird guy the re- different direction so that he's really full-on, like, nerd on Jesus, and he's just the same dude, but, but just turn him around a different direction. But that's, that's not how it happened, is it? You see, he didn't go from murderous threats against Christian to murderous threats against non-Christians. He went from murderous threats to saying, if I have all of these things but not love, then I'm worth nothing. The risen Christ is powerful to change not just the direction of our life, but the character of our life, the way we do things, what moves us, what motivates us. Are you just the same as you always were, doing the same things, but now just doing them for Jesus? Like That's a good thing. That's a very good thing. Uh, and yet, the risen Christ wants to change all of us, inside out, the whole person. Uh, to change the character of how we do and how we love, how we live. Not just that we're doing it for him, but also that we do it like him. And Jesus is powerful to do that. And so I, I don't know about you, but maybe there's someone who you know in your life and you think, nah, ah, yeah, but they're never going to change. that that's, that's a leopard for sure. They just will not. No way. And maybe that person you're thinking about is yourself. Do not underestimate the power of the risen Christ. You see it here. And as we meet him, he changes us. The challenge for you, if that is you, if that is me, when that's me, is to go to Jesus in prayer. We must pray. Go to him and ask the risen Jesus to powerfully change. Powerfully change us or the other that we are failing to trust that he can Secondly, uh, we're nearly there. Secondly, receive the changed one. Brother Saul, he says. Uh, I know stories, and some of them I've heard from Hobart, where genuine converts have not been accepted into churches because they're not very like the church that they've joined. Right? That's a sadness, isn't it? Brother Saul to the man who's been out to get you and your friends because now he's a brother. We need to receive the changed and if we're rejecting or disconnecting ourselves from a brother or sister because of a personal preference or the the culture that they've been converted out of or the way that they acted before they became a Christian or because of the church that they go to or because they did something that we don't happen to agree with, there's a problem somewhere. Brother Saul, what a weird two words to put together. But that's what Christians do. And lastly, it just... A changed view of suffering to get Paul's perspective on suffering. See, what what did you think when you first read, or when you normally read, when Jesus said, "I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name"? Like, we Mel and I were throwing this around, and we we're like, "Is he trying to like get a, is he trying to like get a bit of revenge?" He's like, "Yeah, I'll let you be a Christian, but I'm just going to slap you around a bit first. Like, like is this kind of like a payback thing? You've hurt me and my church. I'm going to hurt you back. Is it? And, like, that's kind of how it reads. Like, it's hard not to read it that way, or at least something like that. Uh, maybe he's appealing to Ananias' baser instincts. Oh, he'll go, and, and maybe, maybe Ananias is a bit like Jonah, right? And he's only going to go and do the preaching uh, if uh, he knows there's a bit of fire and brimstone attached to it for the person that he doesn't like. I think it's likely here that he's just saying to Ananias, actually, no, Ananias, this, this is just not going to be cheap for him. Okay, he's not just going to get to come in on the team, and it's going to be easy, and he's, gonna, he, he, he's just here for a cheap ride of grace. This is no false conversion. This is a real thing. He's going to risk his life for this. Now we don't have to guess too much, though, about what Jesus' attitude towards Paul was in this suffering, Saul was in this suffering, because Paul actually writes about his own suffering a lot in his own letters. Did you know you, you picked that up here or there? Um he has a strange way to see suffering. What is it? What is it? So Colossians 1 24. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I rejoice in it. I'm pumped when I get to suffer for you. Why? Well, Romans 8:17. Now, if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. See, see when we feel suffering, we, we ought to see a chance for participation in the glory of God. This is, this is, this is the moment this is the moment you have to walk after Christ, to be like the the, the Savior who who went to the cross for you, to, to join, participate in his sufferings that we may share in his glory. God is the strange God who manages to, to forgive me for my sin. And so I think, okay, right, it's great. It's 100% unfair. I don't get, I don't get what I deserve. Whew, that is a really good news for me. And God's like, oh, yeah, and by the way, come and suffer for Christ, and, I will, and I will, I will, you will have glory with him on the last day for all that you did. I'm like, oh, It sounds dangerously like works, God, and I don't like the concept of getting what I deserve. That's going to turn out badly for me. And God's like, no, you get both. And that's Paul's perspective on suffering. When we're going through hard things, maybe someone mistreats you and it hurts and it hurts hard. Don't avoid them. Press into the hardship uh, Jordan from Hope Church was talking to, me, talking to me about this yesterday at a wedding. Say your spouse, your brother, your sister isn't treating you so well. Don't avoid them. Don't say, ah, oh, it's like they keep stomping on my toe. They keep doing this thing that I don't like. It's like, well, why don't you step in closer? <laughs> I can't step on your toe quite so easily. But, but the, the idea is press into the relationship. Take this as an opportunity to love and serve and to be this person who's offering them grace, actual undeserved love that doesn't make sense, that's not worldly, that's uncommon. It's not common sense at all. And not because if you do that, God will make everything go hunky-dory. Like, it may not. That's what happened to Paul. Everyone wants to kill him. But because to love when we'll suffer for it is to be like Christ. It's to suffer for the gospel, which is our glory. And we have one life in order to do that. When we're in heaven together, we'll have a lot of fun, but we won't be able to do that anymore because there won't be any suffering. Maybe you think you're at risk of being disadvantaged at work if you live an authentic Christian life. See, that as Gain. This is your shot. Be like Jesus. You're going to have to remind me of this because I want to run away from this as much as you guys do. But how true is it and how beautiful is it? And when you step into it with a heart of joy, it's a different thing going through hard times. The isn't Jesus is powerful to change us. Let's love and receive the changed. And let's take Paul's perspective on suffering so that we might participate in Christ and share in his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. This is a hard word. And brother, uh, uh, there will be brothers and sisters here tonight who will be feeling this so keenly, and this may seem almost insensitive or might completely insensitive. And so, Father, as a church, help us get around each other, talk through what's going on, care for each other, so that, Lord, together we might step into, our, into this, this faith in your power, the power of your risen Son, who's Lord over everything, to change lives. And Lord, that we might follow in his footsteps to suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him too. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.